chapter 18 as we um, carry on our study through uh, this, this book in the this book in the Bible. Um, and tonight I, I want to uh, look at uh, look at a, a, a title I've given: "Be Encouraged." Um, the because I, as I read through the the various episodes in chapter eighteen, so chapter eighteen doesn't give us way. I don't, I don't think to an easily developed logic, as it were. There's, Luke is recounting different episodes, uh, different situations that the apostle Paul finds himself in as he continues in his, um, on his missionary journey. And anyhow, you know, the book of Acts is not meant to be a, a logical, uh, not, not, not logical is not the right word, but it is, is not a, um, it's not meant to be a, a kind of a, a consistent argument like the, the book of, of Romans, Romans is, for example, where Paul is, sometimes you read Paul is almost making a defense of a particular theme or a topic. It's not, neither is it Say, for example, the kind of consistent argument that you find when Paul is writing his letters to the churches um, or, or dealing with a church issue, for example. Uh, the book of Acts is, 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 is a historical account, and, and so um, very often Luke is, is, is relating different episodes. There's a logic there, of course, in this particular portion of, of Acts. We, we, Paul is, uh, sorry, Luke is, is, is explaining to us how Paul is a signal figure in, 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 in Jesus Christ's promise that the gospel will go into the nations. It will spread from its um, lowly beginnings, if you want, in, in Jerusalem and reach out to the very nations of the earth, reach out to a powerhouse like Rome. And Luke is telling us how God fulfilled that promise and so reminding us that if God fulfilled that promise then, it's because he's still fulfilling that promise in the church now. And the church should then coast, should fly on the wings of God's promise when it comes to um, doing gospel work. So we should always be, in that sense, there should always be this source of encouragement for us. We should be encouraged. Um, and and And... You know, very often when we when we read about the the Apostle Paul, even even just in in the last few chapters of, as we have done so far in the Book of Acts, but maybe also in his in his epistles when he is recounting his own life, we are prone to maybe sometimes think of a man who um, was hardly ever in need of encouragement, or or didn't uh, he didn't. Uh, depend on certain sources of encouragement or, or, or never felt, you know, weak or despondent or anything like that. But that is certainly not the way the apostle attempts to portray himself, right? If, if we have that view of him, that's down to our own misreading of, of Paul's life. No, he himself is prone to uh, define himself as often feeling weak. Remember, you know, in, in chapter 18, we're, we're reading about Paul's ministry in Corinth. But to the Corinth church, he said, I was among you in weakness, in fear, in trembling. 
You know, to the current church, he says we are fools for Christ's sake. He says we are weak, you are strong, um, so on and so forth. This is, this is Paul himself. This is Paul's definition of what often characterizes his ministry. And at least in the book of Acts, what you see is, is at least that Paul went through things in his ministry that could have discouraged him, things that could have, uh, would have brought him down. He went through tough times. Um, it wasn't that the man didn't have to face trial. It wasn't that they weren't difficult times. He did have to go through tough times. Um, and and you, you can't miss it. If you've been reading about Paul so far anyway, you should, you should have seen that. We see him shining through these things. We see him carrying on in the work. But we must not, we must not omit the fact that these were difficult times that this servant of God was facing. And that although God had called him, and we're going to see that t- tonight, God's, you know, God had made great, God has made, God makes promises to Paul. Jesus Christ has promised, I'm with you. And yet he, he, he had to face tough times. Um, you know, um, he, he, he labored hard. He worked hard. That's tough. It's tough. It, it, it took a lot of work. You know, we can't, we can't begin to imagine how much work, the amount of miles and it wasn't traveling like we travel, you know, today, and we, co- we might cover miles today, and, but in the most comfortable of ways, you know. Some of us complain. We complain a train doesn't work, and then we have, to, we have to get a replacement bus or something, and you're very, very bitter about that, right? And you complain, but you can't begin to imagine how Paul, you know, had to travel and how many miles he had to just walk on foot. It was hard labor, and... He was laboring because he wanted to preach the gospel to these churches. But very often, while he was doing so, um, he also had to provide for himself, right? So we read that very earlier on um, in, verse, in the first few verses that he, he was a tent maker. And he, he stayed with these folks. He, he labored with them uh, and then would, would preach the gospel as well at the same time, you know. Uh, today, many, many, maybe not all, but many preachers have the, 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 the privilege, the luxury almost, of being able to, you know, uh, have wages and a salary and so on. Paul didn't have that, that luxury. The man labored very, it was, it was very hard. It's it the kind of labor that definitely took a toll on his body and um, meant that he, he had to forego certain luxuries. And, you know, Paul was not, uh, probably not a very uh, pampered man in that sense. He's labored hard for the gospel. Uh, but not just that, of course, he, he was, just in chapter 18, you read later on that he was, he was opposed and reviled by the Jews, verse 6. So he would go and preach the gospel, but he was preaching the gospel in very hostile environments. Uh, more hostile environments that we maybe likely face, you know. There was, there was, he was preaching the gospel to people who had bitter um, a, a bitter resentment for his message and what it implied. You know, it'd be, be probably be the equivalent of, you know, preaching the gospel in, in certain Muslim countries. It, it, it's strange to think that way, but yeah, the, the Jews were, were that far off. Um, they, they, they were that far off in the conviction of what Paul was saying about what would happen to the Messiah and how the Messiah rose again that, you know, I mean, they, they accused... Paul, often, of, of, 
basically being a blasphemer, blaspheming the name of God, um, which is the kind of thing that you imagine when you'd be accused of if you preach the gospel in certain contexts, say in Islamic context. So Paul was often preaching the gospel in such hostile environments, but not just that then, he was preaching to a people who rejected him even though he had a deep, deep passion, a deep love for them. You know, in this passage, verse, verse 8, Paul is going to say, after they oppose and revile him, he's forced to, he's forced to, to, to affirm God's divine rejection of the people at that time. And he says, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. This is not something that Paul did, though, you know, without much pain. And, you know, this could have been, this could have tended to discourage him. His own people, you know, later on in Romans chapter 9, Paul is going to speak about how deeply passionate he was about his, about his heritage. Paul was patriotic. But for the sake of the gospel, he had to be disavowed by them. You know, he had to be... Um, he was rejected by them. You know, I know, I know a, few, a few of us would get very riled up if someone questioned our, you know, our loyalty to, say, our, our heritage, you know. Um, you know, so someone, so someone, said, someone says to you, you're not a true, you're not true, wherever you're from. You say, say to me, you're not a true Nigerian. I know that can really hurt me. Like, what? What do you mean? You know, it really upset me, and Paul was, but that's, Paul was facing a far steeper rejection of his heritage than that. You know, he was, they, they treated, they didn't, they didn't just say that he was, a, he was someone who betrayed his Jewish heritage. They treated him like that. There was a kind of united, in a sense, rejection of him that he had to face. So Paul went through tough times, and tough times that meant he was afraid for his life. Later on in this passage, the, Jesus Christ, the Lord himself, is going to speak to Paul and say, Paul and encourage him to keep on speaking. But notice what the Lord says to him in verse 9. The Lord says to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Well, we know our Lord does not speak, um, doesn't speak words for no reason or pointlessly. Those words are spoken to, to Paul because that's what he needs to hear. So this is a man who's afraid. You know, the great apostle Paul, but he's afraid for his life here, it would seem to indicate in the context, and he's probably considering leaving Corinth because of, you know, the, the hostility. Those were difficult times to have to walk in such fear um, and to walk with being afraid for your life, and he's encouraged. Um, and then, you know, later on in this passage as well, the next thing we see, Paul is arrested, brought before tribunal. Um, after preaching for a year or six months in Corinth, he's arrested. That sort of thing, we don't experience that, but, but he was arrested for the sake of the gospel, for doing this work. All these things, you know, the cumulative effect could have been to, to fill this man with discouragement. And, you know, chapter 18 doesn't end. Acts doesn't end in chapter 18. And the ministry of Paul doesn't end in chapter 18. So you find yourself asking, you know, how, how does he keep going on? What, what encourages him? What, what allows Paul to keep on with that same relentlessness, that same tirelessness? And I think we get indications of the things that kept Paul encouraged and not discouraged about the work. But it's, it's <clears throat> fair to say that, it, that, that the very presence of toughness, of tough times, was not enough to discourage him or to put him off continued service. You know, I, I increasingly am I'm, I'm tending to feel that there is a, there is a penchant to ask, act as though. It's a, it's a strange pattern. It's a strange 
it's a strange thought to find occupying believers' minds um, that we, we, we tend to feel like difficulty or tough times are inconsistent with, um, with doing the Lord's work or with, 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 with serving the Lord. Like, like God wants us to be in a place where we have ease or God wants us involved in ministry that comes to us easily. It's a strange way to think. It's a worldly way to think. Right? I think it's a big thing in the world today that no one expects you to have to, to, to fight through things, to, to, to endure tough times. I can only imagine, too, a, a couple go to a worldly, a worldly counselor, perhaps, just, they listen to worldly counsel. They say, we're having a tough time in our marriage. Like, we're, not, we're just not happy being here. Not happy in this marriage. You can imagine how, how today I think of it, how quickly... The world would want to suggest that the automatic response to that is leave. You shouldn't, in the world's mind, you shouldn't be doing anything that you're not happy to do. People quit jobs they're not happy doing. People give up on hobbies they're not happy, they're not enjoying. And the same thing goes for everything in life. They, they quit marriages they're not happy in. They quit churches they're not happy in. They quit um, friendships they're not happy in. It's, 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 oh, the, 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 the God of, of my... Um, of my decision-making today is happiness. But there's no room for toughness. There's no room for endurance. But I'm going to preach on this, I think, at at the end of the year. One of the gifts of the Spirit is, you know, is to endure, to persevere through things, is a gift of the Spirit. It's how the Spirit works. We must not become such flaky folks like the world are. You know, sometimes I'm sitting with people I know that what I need to say to this person is you need to endure this hard season. It's not easy. It doesn't feel nice. You can't be controlled by what feels nice. Paul wasn't controlled by what felt nice. And what happens when we're controlled by those things is we, we, we miss out on those sources of encouragement that God gives. We miss out on those those means of encouragement that the person of faith should grasp. Okay? So, 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 there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a means of encouragement that the people of faith cannot understand, but those who have faith, those who are people of God, actually we should, they should be a means of encouragement to us. Let me indicate to you um, some of the ways I think Paul is encouraged to go on in tough times in his own ministry, in tough times, in doing gospel work. Firstly, there's a relentless focus on the preaching of the gospel. You can't miss that. Sometimes it's almost like his, his troubles become a, a byword. They're, they're peripheral. They're not. This man is in the very thick of things. But you could almost miss the trouble he's going through because there's a, a narrow kind of focus on, I'm going to keep on preaching. I spoke about how he was laboring hard, right? He was a trader by day, gospel preacher by night. But he doesn't let that distract him from reasoning with men. You can see how easily, how quickly um, there is this, there is this uh, juxtaposition almost of this, right? Initially, Luke gives us this interesting detail. Paul bumps into a few Christians, Aquila and Priscilla. They are, they, 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 they're 
um, tent makers, some kind of leather work by trade. Paul was doing that as well to, to, to make ends meet. Um, and so he stays with them because they were in the same trade. Verse 3. But by verse 4, Luke reminds us, but this hasn't distracted him from the gospel. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. Every time there was that opportunity to do that, he still focused on preaching the gospel. I think that was Paul's encouragement. What encouraged him was this gospel that he we was called to preach. In fact, in chapter 17, when Paul is departing from Athens, he's asked for his friends to come and meet him. Meet me in, meet me in Achaia, meet me in, in Corinth. Right? He's asked um, Silas and Timothy to meet him. And then eventually when they do arrive, verse 8 says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. The guy, he was always focused on preaching the word. He was always convinced, consumed by the greatness. Great is the gospel of our glorious God. And so Paul remained encouraged by pouring himself into opportunities to proclaim the gospel. Um, even after his heart is broken by the rejection of his Jewish folk, he's rejected by his Jewish people, the Jewish community, a lot of them reject him, and he's dealing with the pain and sorrow of that. He finds his consolation in the fact that there's a Gentile to proclaim the gospel to, that the gospel must go on. Right? And he, he, he labors in the gospel. Uh, when the Lord speaks to him and tell him, tells him to keep on preaching in Corinth, he labors there in the word for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. He found so much joy in that. He found so much delight in that, in giving himself. So when persecution would come, when trials would come, nothing took his focus off the greatness of the gospel. And Paul is a, Paul's actions, Paul's, Paul's uh, behavior there is, is something for the church to imitate. There must be a, there must be a razor like razor sharp focus on the gospel. Um, we must, we must, we must, we must find encouragement in the gospel. Tough times come in gospel ministry. I'm so I'm sure tough tough times come in the ministry of the church. But I often feel that one of the things that maybe Satan is doing when he brings when when tough times do come is. Satan probably rejoices in allowing those tough times to be a distraction from the gospel. You know, we can be so concerned about our own issues in church life that all of a sudden the gospel becomes peripheral. The, the gospel becomes uh, just, just any other thing. We can't even, now, now we don't even rejoice in the proclamation of it anymore. You know, and I've seen, I've seen people, people say, I've seen, I've seen that happen. I've seen people say to me, oh, you know, I just struggle to come to church. You know, when I come to church, I'm, I can't even focus on the word. What a, what a, what a, what a, what a, what a trick of, of the devil. What a sad thing to see happen. There's nothing like the gospel, right? And, and the Lord keeps us encouraged, keeps us going by causing us to focus on the gospel as we sang tonight, Right? Holy One of God, a Holy One of, of God um, who became perfect man to bear my shame. On the cross, he took my blame. By his death, I live again. We sing the gospel 
I said, there's, there's nothing like it. And we're encouraged by it. I will always be encouraged by this place because this is the place where the gospel is declared. Paul was encouraged because he was focused on the gospel and, its, and the impact that the gospel has. The second thing, of course, the second thing that you see that is repetitive, not just in the book of, not just in this chapter, but you see it over and over again also in the book of Acts, is how God blesses the preaching of the word. God blesses the word. You know, sometimes uh, churches might go years. You see churches have gone years and they've not had, um, they've not seen a lot of increase. They've not seen a lot of addition, maybe not a, not a lot of growth. Well, I should have made this for the previous point. One of the things that keep those churches going, I'm telling you, is the gospel. You know, I can only imagine if a preacher, a man is a pastor, and only has, church has not been, been grown more than six, 10, 15 people or whatever, stayed for years. The thing that keeps him going when he comes to that congregation must be that he has this, what he has to say, what he has to talk about. I'm, I'm talking about, this is so precious. But, but another thing is also the confidence that Paul has that God will bless the word. You notice just, again, even in the midst of all the trouble and the ups and downs, Paul's raises sharp focus. I just need to get the gospel out, the Bible says. Um, Paul, verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. Imagine that. That's, that's, how, the Lord, that's how the Lord encourages Paul. Great, sometimes the Lord encourages us by, by causing us to see great conversions. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. You know, here's, here's in one moment, all the Jews are seem, seemingly against him. The, the synagogue seems to be rejecting him. But who, who knew that because the seed had been sown, who knew what God was doing? Crispus, the very ruler of the synagogue, believes in the Lord with his entire household. And then many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And that's one of the ways that God will encourage his people always, I'm sure, is by seeing, letting them see the blessing of, of his blessing upon the preaching of the word. You know, people, Satan will, will move the world to think of even more ingenious ways to, to, um, to, to revile the gospel, to belittle the gospel. All kinds of accusations, all kinds of myths will be raised, all kinds of things will be said to try and attack the message of the gospel. And, and very often the way the Lord will refresh his church and encourage us is when we hear of great conversions or when we hear of, when we see souls are still coming. The souls are always coming to know the Lord. The souls are always coming to the Lord. You know, come what may, and people can say what they want about, about the about the gospel, but always there are souls, there are people, to, and there's nothing like the conversion, there's nothing like converting to Christ, nothing like it, there's something about it, there's something about it that, that, that is, is divine, it's powerful, it doesn't have the same, it doesn't have the same um, level of human imposition on it, right, so, so very often when you see people who say that they're converted to the faith, um, in other religions, you can see how much effort they've had to make. They've had to go and study the, they, they study the, the literature of the, of, the, um, of the religion or 
Um, you, you can see it's, it's, all, it's, it's, it's a work that they've had to do. For example, very often in Islam, there's a huge, let's just say huge, let me be fair. There's a large number of converts to Islam that actually happens in the prisons, in prisons, especially in the States. But you know what that is a lot of the time? It's almost like gang culture. Like people go into prison and they need, they need community. They need people who will defend them. They need defense in, in and, and very often Islam has a very well-ordered or Islamic communities have a very well-ordered structure in the prison. And so if you're desperate and these people offer you a way to clean yourself up but, but be protected, and people, people take up Islam. It happens significantly in, 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 in prisons. But when you hear genuine Christian conversion, you know it's, you can just, it, it has the imprint of a divine hand. We heard a testimony this morning. And everything our sister was saying this morning, Karen was saying this morning, everything she was saying, I could hear, I could, hear, I could see the work of the Lord. I could see how the Lord calls his disciples. You saw it. It wasn't, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't about the fact that she had been going to church all her life. Her parents couldn't force her to do that. This was, this was the Lord that called her. This was God blessing his work, blessing his, his gospel. Um, and, and when we see that, when we see how God brings people from darkness to light, very often it's significant, huge encouragement for God's people. And Paul is clearly encouraged by that. Um, the third thing to see is he's encouraged by the family of believers. It's important to see that. As you read through Acts chapter 18, you're going to see that Paul is encouraged by his interaction with other Christians. As he's going through this, as he's, as he's discouraged in many ways by some of the things he, as he could have been discouraged, as he could have been discouraged by some of the things he, 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 he sees. You see how God is, some of the things he's experienced, you also see how God is encouraging him by God's people, by his interactions with them. We Initially, it's, we, we read about how he joins himself to Aquila and Priscilla and is, is working with them. I'm sure they, they, they refresh him. They refresh him. These folks, you know, just being around Christians. Someone was saying that to me today. I'm so encouraged just by being around believers. You know, just, just talking to other Christians. That, that can be encouraging. Right, he stays with Aquila and Priscilla, and he's doing his, his ministry from there, but he's doing, his, he's doing his work of ministry from the vantage point of fellowship with God's people. Uh, and so Paul's, Paul's, uh, Paul's being, being in the church, being with a family of believers, and I was saying it this morning in my preaching, my preaching I, I find it hard to see how, how men can have powerful gospel ministry or powerful or, or work for God powerfully. I know God, can, God does use people. God is servant. But, but, but how they can have powerful ministry when they're not, say for example, uh, they're not located in a local church. They're not, they're not settled in a local church. They don't, they don't know the everyday interaction of being with other Christians. There's always going to be a defect in that kind of ministry. I don't doubt that. I've seen God use such folks. I've seen God bless people, use people to bless the church. Uh, through such ministry, you know, I think of A.W. Pink, who's a, a great author, but for, 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 many, for many years, he was, he was isolated from churches, he didn't go to church, he would just write books and write stuff, and he wrote great books, but there's going to be a defect in that kind of ministry, there will always be a defect somewhere, um, 
But Paul was encouraged by his interaction with other Christians. He was encouraged by his desire to see other Christians grow. As I was saying in my sermon today, making disciples and strengthening disciples, right? That's what, that's what Paul lived for. That's what kept him going. You know, when, when things were hard, um, you know, the, the last word we get about him in, in Acts 18 says, um, in, in verse 23, uh, that he, was, he, he, he went through all these places strengthening the disciples. And Paul's desire to see other Christians grow, to see them become all that God had for them, to see them become more like their Savior. That's what kept him going, to see them overcome in certain areas of life, to see them win certain battles, to see them serve in certain areas, mature in certain areas. That's what kept him going. That encouraged him. This was such a great work, a great activity to be in. He, he, another thing that I imagine that encouraged Paul was to see the, the, to see others do the work of ministry. You know, this whole chapter closes by telling us, indicating that Priscilla and Aquila uh, were, were heavily involved in, ministry, were involved in ministry as well. In particular, we're drawn, our attention is drawn to, the, to one brother, Apollos, who is a powerful teacher of the word, but needs some fine-tuning. You know, it, it would seem that he had, um, he had only heard up to the ministry of, 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 the, of, of John the Baptist. And so there was, there was elements of his understanding of Christology and of who Christ was that were missing, things that needed to be fine-tuned. And both this man and, and his wife, uh, they, they take this brother and they educate him in the way of the Lord and prepare him and help him to advance in ministry. And I think that that, that kind of thing encourages when you see other, when other Christians, when Christians are involved in the work of mission. Not, but not just a select few, right? Not just the the elders, not just the deacons, but all God's people are, are involved in ministry work. All God's people are involved in encouraging. All God's people are involved in restoring. All God's people are in, 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 involved in instructing. When someone says, oh, I, you know, brother, it was brother this that gave me, they gave me this book and said I should read it on, on, on if I need to understand the Trinity. When someone says, I, I didn't understand what Calvinism was, and, and so-and-so walked me through the, the five points. When, when, when someone says, you know, I've been, um, this sister has just been praying with me regularly because this was an issue, and, uh, you know, they've been praying with me, and it's just been so helpful. When you see believers are, when we, when, when we all have that sense that there's a sense in which we're all called to ministry, that encourages. When you see God raising folks, I, okay, this is not particularly said of, of Paul here, but in the, in the closing chapters, this guy, Apollos, is introduced to us. And it's almost like Luke pauses to tell us about him because he was such a great help, such a great encouragement to the people of God. When you see God raise gifts, you know, it's like, say, for example, if, I remember when I first became a Christian, and I would come across difficult scientific questions about the faith that would make me think, oof, this is a, this is a, a huge attack on the Bible, and this could almost undermine faith. And I would quickly type in the name of someone who was gifted in combating scientific um, ideas or, or, or speaking about the scriptures, how the, how the scriptures um, stands firm, how, do, how, how, how the, the scriptures are defensible, even in light of scientific dis discoveries and so on. And I would see, you know, so someone like John Lennox or something who would, 
defend the scriptures from a scientific point of view. And I'd be so, it'd be so encouraging to see the gift this particular person has in that regard. And the gifts of God's people, women who are powerful women of God who can speak, um, who, who speak into, into a culture that is always thinking through what womanhood is and thinking through the relationship between men and women, but who speak to it from a gospel-centered sense. That gift that a woman has to do, that the gift uh, that a brother has to, uh, as I say, to, 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 to respond to the cults and moments and so on and so forth. Um, or, 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 or another powerful gift that someone has to just, um, to just give, give their time for the people of God and serve God's people. And you, you see someone, they say, everyone, you know this person, so many people go to that person. They always go to that person because that person listens to them. And you see that gift blossoming in front of you and seeing God's people gifts. Well, that's an encouragement. In the light of so many things that we have to discourage us, those things are encouraging. Or, or a young person who just comes to the faith, a new believer, and you see the thirst and the hunger, the passion. I remember a few, few weeks ago, probably months ago now, I, was, I preached at a conference somewhere. When I got there, I didn't realize that it was going to be so many young people. But it was so many young people. I didn't, realize, I, don't know. I didn't think I realized how old I was. So I got there, and all these guys were, were young, and they were young because I was very old. And I was like, wow, I'm an old guy. And, but but I, was, I was preaching the word to them. And I guess maybe some of the things we were discussing, the things I said, maybe some of them hadn't heard before. And there was a hunger, there was a passion. And how encouraging that was when they were, they, they were all asking questions and wanting to know this and wanting to know that. And there was desire and there was passion. And to see that, that's how we say, that's how, that's how Paul said to encourage, I believe. But the last thing to say is, is, is he, he stayed encouraged because Jesus is king, the sovereignty of Jesus. Verse, verse 9, which is particularly the verse that made me think about this passage being a passage that teaches us about Paul's, how, how Paul is encouraged, tells us that the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, the Lord spoke to him. There's a sense in which, you know, the encouragement we need to press on, the encouragement we need to go on, comes from the Lord and the Lord alone. Only the Lord can really ultimately strengthen our heart. And that's the great confidence that you and I ought to have, that ultimately it is God who encourages. I don't know if God speaks to us like this, like he spoke to Paul one night in a vision. I, you know, the Lord might speak to us, not in, the, in a vision, but through the voice of another, through the encouragement of another brother or sister, through us or whatever. But when God speaks... Our hearts feel like they've been lifted up by a divine hand. And God speaks. I was talking to, talking to someone today, and I, and I, and I knew they, I saw how discouraged, they were so discouraged. And I knew instinctively in my heart, only God can encourage you. And I said some, some things to the person, but I said, let us pray. Because I knew only God could encourage. You know, there's that sense. God will encourage his people. He'll use means, but I'm telling you, Let's not mistake the means for the very person himself. God will use means, but it will be him, ultimately, that will encourage us. And Paul, God encourages his child, encourages his servant. He says, encourages his servant. He said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. Those words, as we say, they hit different when they come from God himself. They hit different when Jesus is speaking. When Jesus says, don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. I'm king. I'm sovereign. No one can lay a hand on you, Paul. The next thing he just says, I am with you. 
If I wasn't with you, you might have cause to fear. But there's no, it's an insult to me now for you to be afraid. I am with you. I am with you. That's the, that's the great confidence. That's the reason why we're not discouraged. Jesus will be with us. Jesus is with us. Jesus is with his people. Come with me. The trials that come, the testings that come, the, the, the rejections that come, the world's opposition. Jesus is with us. And sometimes we have to be able to lift up our heads and say, Jesus is with us. You know, Jesus Christ is with us. He will, we sing, right? My Savior my, will never forsake me. He will never forsake us. For I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. Nobody. I've said so. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is king. We must do gospel ministry from that vantage point. We must be humble. But there's a sense in which we must not be beggars. We're not beggars. The only people, the only person we're beggars to is Jesus Christ. Next Sunday, I'm preaching in the morning that we're called kings and priests. We're called kings. There's a sense in which we need to recognize our royalty. Not in the way that some folks have abused it, but in the way that says our, our, our Savior is a king and he makes us kings with him. That's why no one can dictate to the church what it can believe as royal behavior. No one can tell us what to think. We've been set free. That's royal behavior. That's what it means to be a kingdom unto God is to speak with the authority of Jesus regardless of which other authority seems to be here. The authority of Jesus Christ is always supreme. I'm with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Look at the sovereignty of Jesus. Paul, I know there's so many people who've told you they want nothing to do with this gospel, but you can't go anywhere because I've got some people here. I've got mine. I've seen them. My people are spread across this place. You can't see them, but I've seen them. I know them by name. I saw, uh, um, I saw wove the, the, the times of their life to make sure that at disappointed time and disappointed season, they would come under the preaching of the word. Mine are here, Paul. Those who God gave me before the foundation of the world, they are here and no one can pluck them out of my hands. My people are here. It doesn't matter the culture of the day, the language of the day, the resistance. The gates of hell cannot prevail against this. My people are here. That's why we do gospel work, because Jesus is sovereign. That's why we're encouraged, because those who God has his hand on, his grace towards them, as Calvinists will say, is irresistible. There's an irresistible sense. That's the confidence. That's the great confidence, the great encouragement to preach the gospel in. It's not to be moved by the faces of men, but to know God has his people. Jesus is sovereign. How encouraged we are. Nobody does any work in this world with this same sense of certainty and confidence that we do. So friends, are we encouraged? And I say to us this evening, that we must learn the art of knowing how to be encouraged during trying times, during, during testing times. And it's not that things will become immediately easy. Sometimes we have to be patient. We have to endure as a gift of the Spirit 
to be patient under suffering. But you know how you do that? You do that by trusting. You trust the Lord. You trust the sovereign voice of Jesus. And, I'm, and I say, and, I'm, and what I'm saying then is that, that to endure tough times because you're trusting the Lord doesn't mean to be discouraged, doesn't mean to be despondent. Sometimes you can be enduring tough times, but you're, you're, you're so discouraged. You're not even lifting up your head. You're not even thinking hopefully. You're not even thinking positively. You're not expecting. And that is an affront to the sovereignty of Jesus. Because Jesus is king, we, must, we, will, we can and must endure even trying times. Because Jesus is king, we know that nothing will stop the work of the Lord. Because Jesus is king, we must be encouraged. Amen. Let us close by our last hymn.